edition of my podcast Lateral Conversations. My name is Tom Mark. As uh, some of you might know, I am very interested not only in developmental theory, but also in the philosophies of how our culture is shifting and developing, uh, especially from a more postmodern worldview to a post postmodern worldview. That is where we are, and um, as many scholars have pointed out by now, it is, as it is to, as it is to be expected, a time of chaos where there are equal chances that we regress to previous stages of uh, cultural development or that we develop to a higher stage. So we see the emergence of the far right and uh, nationalistic thinking, maybe in Germany with the AfD party or even in Spain with the referendum of Catalonia to separate from Spain, which is um, important because I live here in Mallorca. Um, but also with uh, uh, in, in cultural issues with uh, weaponized identity politics and the well intricacies of and contradictions of transgender ideology. So everything is pointing to a time of crisis and we somehow have to figure out uh, where we want to go from here. At the same time, there are new developments in arts and architecture and psychology and political discourse, especially in philosophy, where it comes to going beyond postmodernism in its aspects and to find a way to integrate and transcend um, where we are and what is. So, for example, I had some conversations about the shift uh, to a more post postmodern worldview with some folks of the integral scene. I, I, I had a conversation with Jordan Peterson, with uh, Professor Eshelman, and his concept of performatism, which is a uh, concept about what happens after postmodernity. So metamodernism is another philosophy of, uh, of the recent years, which deals with the shift um, to a more post postmodern stance and worldview, um, which itself um, went through some iterations. So I was really happy to see that the philosopher Hansi Freinacht wrote an astonishing book, uh, a new book about metamodernism. It's called The Listening Society. And so because of that, I invited him to this podcast which he luckily accepted. So we had a 90 minutes or so conversation about all of those topics. Still have the feeling that we just barely scratched the surface of things. But uh, I hope it will provide some insight of his ideas and, and the con concept and the philosophy of metamodernism. So I hope um, you will enjoy this conversation. Without further ado, here is... Hansi Freinacht. Well, Hansi, thank you very much for joining me in this episode of Lateral Conversations. You are a philosopher and a writer um, of a new book, The Listening Society. Welcome. I am grateful and honored to be here. I, um, I want to say this before because um, I think... This is one of those moments um, when you have read a really great book and to want to say to the people, go please buy, buy this book because um, it's very rare that you come 
across a book which is so bold in a way and so grand in scale that it's, it's fantastic. I just want to put that out before we start our conversation. Read the book by Hansi Freinach, The Listening Society. So it's about metamodernism, right? Yeah, first of all, I'm very glad you see things that way. Uh, there are many ways to see the book, and some of which are less to my advantage. Um, why do you say that? Well, it's a controversial book, just, uh, and I'm sure we'll get to the meat of it as soon as we can. Mm -hmm. uh, well, yes, you're, you're perfectly right. It's about metamodernism. It's uh, metamodernism being a new kind of worldview or philosophy, which s corresponds, I guess you could say, to the post-industrial globalized internet society, its philosophy, its metaphysics, its spirituality, its politics, its aesthetics. And especially, I suppose, we are uh, beginning from the aesthetic side. We are beginning in a kind of, in a moment of freedom, in a moment where there is creation, where there is the possibility of something new, where there's something new that wants to be born. And there are human bodies like myself that are uh, possessed by this idea that we can't help ourselves. We want to explode. We want to say, here it is. There's something new. It's dangerous as hell and it's terrible and it's terrifying, but there is something new here and we want to share it. We want to play with it. We can't help ourselves. It keeps us up at night. It wakes us up in the mornings. It keeps us thinking, thinking. It keeps us working, working, and it keeps us playing, playing, playing. Great. I mean, this is right now, I, I think we have politically, culturally, we have a pretty um, complicated time. And it's, for me, it's like a phase of chaos. You know, the, the right is getting stronger and the cultural values are shaken. And there's a good chance that, that all will get, go to hell. But there's another chance that something new is arising, like even politically, like a, a new symbiosis from left and right. So But but let's let's go a, a step back. You know, like metamodernism, as far as I understand, stems back like like a purely art and, and architectural concept from the 90s, I guess, from Timothy Vermeulen and Robin Ecker. Um, but and and then there were some other iterations of that. You know, some cultural forms after postmodernism. So, can you explain what your take on that is? Yes. So so the. A fundamental developmental model is that we go from traditional society to a modern society. This was described by all the classic sociologists. Uh, the, the major shift from traditional, uh, religious, uh, more and, and custom-bound society to a kind of modern state of affairs in which there are individuals, nation-states, bureaucracies, uh, unified legal systems, and so forth, and, and the science, of course, and the industrialization, and of course, capitalism, which in my third upcoming book, will, uh, I will try to make the case that it is the primary, um, primary Uh, face of modernism is capitalism. Uh, well, and then there is the postmodern reaction or critique against that. And just to confuse the people a lot, um, the postmodern arts is usually what we call modern art. <laughs> If you look at modern art, uh, it goes back to the Renaissance, really. And, and when people start 
uh, drawing with perspective when it shows up in the first capitalist societies in, in northern Italy. Uh, the postmodern art shows up in literature in the 1800s and then in, in painting as soon as uh, photography shows up and you have cubism and, and all of these things. Um, and uh, postmodernism begins as small trickles of arts, little challenges to the mind, little games to play with, little perspective shifters. And then so later on, it really becomes a force to reckon with in the, in the 80s and 90s and, and the, in the 2000s and becomes a dominant force within Western society, within actually uh, centers of the global society at large. Um, metamodernism is a reaction against postmodernism and, but not a pure reaction. It's still in love with postmodernism. We still keep all of its core insights. We just marry it to some of the belief in progress and sincerity and directionality that was within the modern project. And, uh, and we marry it to even some of the religious sincerity of the wisdom traditions. So metamodernism is a kind of Postmodernism take it to its extreme. If postmodernism has to do with critique, with taking many perspectives, with integrating many perspectives, we, if we take that really seriously, we should also be able to put all those new perspectives, to, all of those perspectives together and not only deconstruct things, not only criticize society, but reconstruct things, reconstruct perspectives, build our own social reality, build new social universes, build new culture, create new culture, and, of course, create new societies, uh, which, which does require a sense of direction, a directionality, a sense of progression to some extent, a critical sense of progression, a true north somehow. And it does require um, hope and sincerity only the only it's just that the only true hope and sincerity that we can believe in at this point in, in in history is one that is safeguarded with irony one that is safeguarded with humor with uh, self-depreciation with critique with deconstruction and so forth yes. so we create the we open irony opens up this space within us and within this space where we're, where everything is turned upside down and we're in Alice's Wonderland, we begin the creation and we're back in everyday life and we're vulnerable again. And here we are, we're sticking out our necks <laughs> and we're saying, okay, I want to create a more listening society. I want to create a more existentially mature situation. I wasn't happy when I grew up as a kid. I want to make it better. And I think we can use the sciences and the arts to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, as far as I understand, that all the iterations of metamodernism propose that kind of optimism and value creating and this form of spontaneous play with values as a, as a form of counteract against the more nihilistic and value and narrative deconstructing um, strategies of postmodernity. So, yes. but, so, but your your approach of metamodernism is more than just a new way of thinking about art and architecture. It's, it's more about 
philosophy and and cultural stages in a way and development yes uh, so uh, i guess you can if we go back and take a little uh, a very brief history lesson i i'm not even an expert on this um is in, back in the 70s, uh, there was an American author with an Ara Arabic name called Masoud Zavarzadeh, and uh, he, he was a literary theorist, a critical literary theorist, and he pointed out, well, a simple, a simple thing, really, but still quite profound, uh, that what if you write a novel about something that is real? It's a true story, but... It's so unbelievable that the readers won't believe you, uh, that the readers will assume it's a fictional novel. Um, you will then have entered a certain, a certain kind of space, a certain kind of territory that is beyond fiction and beyond fact. Mm -hmm. um, that is somehow more true than fiction and yet more true than fact as well. Um, and uh, well, Metamodernism then became first became a really strong current in uh, in um, as a concept in academia with the 2010 paper. It might have been 2011, I believe it was 2010, when the two Dutch uh, theorists, uh, art theorists uh, Van der Acker and uh, and Vermeulen, wrote uh, uh, this uh, this famous today famous paper called notes on metamodernism and they particularly yes. looked at architecture and um, and then there was an artist from the uk called luke turner who who uh, wrote a manifesto that's true uh, yes about uh, where the key the key element of this manifesto is the oscillation as he says between uh, sincerity and irony, the oscillation, you know, like when something moves fast in a wave. Yes. Um, and this manifesto was also broadcast in, um, in working together with Shia LaBeouf, the, the Hollywood actor who's in Transformers yes. and, and dances in the in Sia's music videos, uh, Elastic Heart and so forth. Um, so, so this really did hit a chord, uh, but, all of this is within the arts, as you say. You can go farther than that. Uh, I, I make stronger claims about metamodernism. And in a way, I'm not a very good person to these uh, former theorists. I'm, I'm not, a, a, I don't respect uh, my, uh, my elders, so to speak, and my intellectual elders in this uh, sense, if not in li the literal sense. Because I felt there is something too important going on here to be thought of as merely a cultural phase. I don't want to read about metamodernism five pages in an art history book in 50 years. Mm. No, that's not yes. going to happen. There is, what is going to happen, what I work for, is that metamodernism becomes a key element in defining the next kind of society, the next stage of society, and that uh, human beings uh, spiritually and intellectually profoundly identify with metamodernism and use it as a tool for changing the world. That's uh, deeply political what you're writing. Yes, yes. So, so that's, uh, that's what brought uh, metamodernism into the framework of first a first um a developmental psychology that there are stages that you can study uh, 
the Piagetian stages, the stages well known from developmental psychology, you can line them up with metamodernism. The mind then going from, so to speak, a modern mind to, so to speak, a postmodern mind to, so to speak, a metamodern mind. These are stronger claims than just saying these are certain currents that change within the culture of society. And society itself can also to some extent, go through these stages uh, where postmodernism isn't necessarily uh, a stable stage that society can stay on for long for, uh, for many different reasons. I, 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 will, uh, I can explain later. But uh, it basically, postmodernism is a state of uh, critique and purification and self-criticism and questioning and deconstruction. But the major stage shift that's going on in our day to day in our world today is from modern society to meta modern society. Yes. And, uh, and I see that as the major political current, or I mean, as the major political event that occurs in our century. And so, so, so there's the connection from the arts to post to, to uh, developmental psychology and from developmental psychology to the political realm and to a political struggle, uh, to uh, albeit a political struggle of a very nonlinear nature, of a very self-ironic nature, of a very playful nature. Yes. Yeah. If I um, to put a little bit meat on 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 the table, it's like when 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 I look at our society now and 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 I, I see. Uh, worldviews fighting against each other. We, we have like capitalist, modernist worldviews, and we're, we're talking about um, um, conditionless income. You know, we, we have problems with climate. Um, uh, the discussion about migrants should, should we open the, the, the borders or should we close them? We have all the discussions about uh, transgender ideology, and it's all a big mess between uh, modern and, and postmodern things, and, and you can't really say well modernist is all bad and postmodern is all good or, or other way around so if 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 you look like these simple four topics which are relevant for our society now what would be a concrete uh, example of how um, metamodernism solve or approach even those problems i mean um, transgender ideology climate You have it. Yes. yes. Uh, so, so, uh, so, so let's see. You you mentioned uh, four topics. Mm. Uh, let's uh, let's begin first with a with a bit of a bracket. Uh, I also use the expression meat. Uh, you said meat on the table. <laughs> I'm a vegan, and and, <laughs> uh, and it's an important thing. We uh, uh, with the postmodern thinking, we also challenge. Um, taken for granted categories and one, one such being that we are humans and that we can uh, and that humans are the prime actor of the universe in in fact of course uh, there's no reason to believe that uh, there's hu humanity is just a local um, maximum uh, of um, uh, of the self-organization of the conscious self-organization of the universe and thus as such we have uh, no right to uh, uh, to supremacy over the of the overall the other animals uh, arbitrarily. We have to make rational arguments for why we would use a certain animal in a certain way in the name of all sentient beings. Well, so, uh, that, that being said, um, you, you mentioned four things. You mentioned uh, 
identity politics, you mentioned uh, universal uh, income, you mentioned migration, and you mentioned one more thing, the climate, yes. Uh, so uh, identity politics, let's begin there. Um, identity politics uh, and, and these, well, the topics of intersectionality and so forth, what metamodernism brings to the table is the developmental perspective. It says you are, you are not allowed ever to judge the perspectives of others. You must see why he or she thinks the way he or she does. Uh, you must see the scientific behavioral reasons for why this human being has this certain perspective, why he or she feels this way, why is the idea of feminism is so emancipatory, so exhilarating, so uh, so empowering to this woman. Why is it so scary, so uh, debilitating, so castrating for this man? Why is it? Um, why does or the it other way around? Or the other way around? Why does it serve certain? Um, certain urban class uh, people. Why? Do, why do people in the country do not like it? Uh, why? Why does it? Uh, why is it um, related to higher education and and uh, higher cognitive complexity and so forth? So, uh, so it brings with it a kind of non-judgmental view of these things, which uh, nevertheless help us rank the perspectives uh, and. If you then zoom in on feminism itself, uh, you can also see that you, feminist arguments can be made from the lower uh, complexity end in which you, you'll hear arguments like we must defend the, uh, the rights and interests of women and gay men uh, and, and other gay people um, against uh, patriar patriarchy or anything like that. Uh, and you will find more complex perspectives and you'll find uh, such as, well, you, we have to um, coordinate the interests and perspectives of women with the interests and perspectives of men and help uh, people develop um, sensitive and inclusive perspectives within uh, gender and sexuality so that they may free themselves and free one another from the shackles of oppressive norms etc yeah but but uh, sorry but how how would that look like i mean like there yeah. there are obviously some very very important aspects in feminism and uh, transgender theory but but on the other side there are some deeply concerning pathologies going along the way with the, uh, within the same movements so, so how do you certain. how do you save how do you save those good aspects in progressing to another stage and get rid of the, the pathologies? It's, of course, a, a larger question that we can, uh, then we can take in the subcategory of one question here. But the, uh, just, just simply seeing the developmental perspective helps clearing a lot of, helps clearing a lot of the conflict and a lot of the tensions around it. Uh, it also clears a lot of the judgments that we keep, that we... Um, and they no longer are are the people of the opposite perspective evil. You simply have to understand them and you have to put them together and you have to form which perspective would lead to which one, uh, given that they discussed for, for long enough time which perspectives are irreconcilable, etc. Uh, but uh, that being said, uh, there is uh, there is a key element that's 
generally missed and it has to do with psychological development and attachment so um there is the gender antagonism in society uh, the gender issues and the sexuality issues can be more or less infected they can be more or less tense they can be more or less um well contentious and ge by generally improving the likelihood of people having good identities strong identities and good relationships across the genders we also solve a lot of the violence against women a lot of the um guys trying to act tough a lot of the uh, failed uh, come-ons uh, that that men show women and um which lead to uh, uh, sexual harassment charges, uh, a lot of the bitterness uh, across both genders, uh, uh, a lot of the hatred, a lot of the collective blaming, simply by improving the relationships between women and men from early on. If you design uh, primary education uh, nursery schools in, in a more intelligent manner, you can do things like meditation, you can do things like mindfulness, you can do things like uh, uh, discussions, uh, you can do things where you get to play with your gender roles a little bit, you can get to uh, uh, guy uh, meetups with, with, uh, where you uh, discuss positive and toxic masculinity, you can do the same with women. Uh, if we have a society rich with these social technologies, a lot of the things that seem impossible or contentious today may they they won't entirely dissolve but it's like it, it's like um melting a part of an iceberg so i mean um yeah so you'll have less underwater and you'll have a lesser iceberg on top uh but but it's still it's it will still be there it's just to a lesser amount to a lesser extent and to a, it will um yeah. Yeah. So, so you're talking about a more uh, emphatic, a more listening society from from the bottom up. You know. So, yes. so how yes. how would a society, a listening society, how would that that look like? I mean, in uh, relationship to what we're living in now. Uh, a good question. Just being conscious that we're leaving behind the other issues: yeah, yeah, migration, that's, that's... <laughs> climate, etc. Okay. Yeah, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so, a listening society. Well. Uh, we have to use a lot of the technologies that are around and a lot of the sciences that are around. Just looking at, for instance, meditation research, there are literally hundreds of, of articles and peer-reviewed journals coming out every year these days. And they're in everything from neuroscience to, um, uh, well, different forms of phys physiology, psychology, etc., And it's pretty clear that you can go pretty far if you change people's brain patterns, um, not really change them in the first place, because, because if we grow up, we're going to end up with one or another brain pattern in the other, uh, either way. So just shift, subtly shift these little things in a large enough population, you will have very different emergent patterns in a larger population. What if everybody is a little less aggressive, a little more trusting, a little more empathic, a little more self-aware? In uh, one person, doesn't make that much a difference. In one family, it might make some difference. In a group, it might make 
uh, it might make some more difference. And if in a society large with millions, it will probably shift the game of life dramatically. Mm. It will shift what the games of life played out in everyday interactions look like and feel like. It will shift what the background, so to speak, the background light or radiation that we walk through uh, psychologically speaking in everyday life, what it feels like to be alive in this, uh, in this continent mm-hmm. uh, or in this time or this uh, society in the first place. Uh, that's, it's just one, one idea about uh, using meditation, but there, you, there are all sorts of things you can do. You can design um, the, the urban structures. You can uh, create more meeting places. You can uh, enrich uh, democracy and uh, create much more uh, deliberative, um, uh, deliberative institutions. You can, uh, you can regulate all sorts of uh, um, stuff that has to do with commercial uh, stuff. You, you can uh, make sure uh, uh, more key actors uh, within the technology, within the high tech industries, have the best of our of their fellow humans at heart, which then will spur different kinds of innovations that take a larger perspective. I think these things are very important in a day in our days when um, technological power is just increasing exponentially mm. so you think like by by applying for example meditation i mean this is like a um um how do you say that like, like a um, overreached example but by by applying meditation and by using it in schools for example which i think would be a good idea um that you that you can get rid of um the weaponizing uh, strand of, of identity politics where suddenly gender becomes and, and the ideology of gender becomes like um, social, social stress and conflict, you know? So, so how, how, how would that relate to each other? It's, it's, just, it's just one example because we talked about identity politics a little bit, you know? How would meditation uh, change those those movements and those right. ways of dealing with with important questions like gender you know? right right uh, so the reason these issues show up with such strength is of course people have a lot of feelings around them and if you change how people feel around these things in the first place and we have less reason to feel the resentment or bitterness and we have less propensity to blame one another and more propensity to take responsibility for our own feelings and actions and we are better at taking the perspectives of one another then generally speaking these questions will look very differently than they do today not saying they will disappear i mean just as poverty still exists today in the midst of uh, of a highly uh, industrialized and post-industrial and super affluent world um, these issues won't won't disappear but they might be transformed they might uh, not seem as impossible as they once did they might not have the central weight or issue as they once did or seem as insolvable mm-hmm. 
Yes, yeah, we're jumping a little bit around, but I try to tackle this topic, so I hope you don't mind. So let's 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 go um, a step back to um, the developmental part of metamodernism. Yes. So yes. would 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 you be so kind, or can you describe how the metamodern mindset or that stage of development would would be like, um, like how how? Um, would a person act and how would the person perceive things? I mean, we talked a little bit about oscillation, about irony, about optimism and all those things, but can you, can you yeah. um, put it a little bit more yes. together? So for, first of all, I, I generally have a somewhat different uh, take um, than, than uh, Turner's idea of oscillation. I, I generally stand, stay with the, the quantum expression, uh, the quantum physical expression of superposition. That's something that, that what is most real is not the actuality, what the, the, this thin slice of, of what happens to be the case in this particular moment. The, the most real reality is potentiality. It is the, the full scale of possibilities. Um, that that open up in every moment, um, and and that's key. I think uh, the the meta modern mind then uh, works less from a, from a from the sense of a static universe, from the sense of a mechanical universe, and and works more from a universe, um, an open ended universe, and a self organized universe, a universe of possibility, a universe of potential, a potentiality. Um, the correct stance towards that potentiality being to love the higher potentialities, to love the, 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 the possibilities of, of new births happening, new wonders, but also accepting the low-end possibilities, accepting the terrible parts, the, the, the sorrowful parts, the, the tragic and the pathetic parts of ourselves and one another and, and of the world. Um, so so that's, that's just getting at the core of it. Um, that's interesting. If, mm. if you look at, though, at the, at the different developmental aspects we, uh, uh, well, I, I describe in the book, there are four um, such developmental aspects. And, and, Uh, the the other developmental theorists that have gone before me, they don't quite grapple with all four dimensions, which uh, was why I was confused. I think for a long time uh, about what what metamodernism really was, and what the metamodern mind or person really was, um, and that the, these four aspects are complexity, cognitive complexity. And it's important to understand that complexity does not mean the same thing as complication. When you climb a stage in complexity, what was earlier complicated for you becomes elegant and simple. You begin to see a simple order, a more complex order in what, you, when, in what formerly looked as chaos to you. Um, a second one is the code, which is your general worldview going from a traditional worldview perhaps of uh, where, where uh, with a uh, one god that creates um creates the world and you can study it in a book that which the same god wrote etc to a modern worldview to a postmodern worldview to a metamodern worldview these are different code systems and each of them have contain hundreds or even thousands of 
assumptions, and these assumptions they strengthen one another, um, which which is why it's so hard to make the shift. If you uh, if you hear one assumption from the postmodern worldview, when you are still at the med, uh, when you still have a modern code, it will run counter to another 100 assumptions or more that you are doing, making without noticing it. So, so you kind of, it's like a spider's web that has to be created from, uh, from scratch at each, of these, at, the, at each of these code stages. It's kind of like if complexity is your, is your hardware, uh, if you're a computer, uh, complexity would be your hardware and the code would be your software. And then a third dimension is uh, your state, your inner state, how, how you feel in every moment. How, how magical does the world feel? How, how much spiritual experiences, how much, spir how, how much spiritual quality does your experience have? Uh, how drab and boring does the world seem? Or even how terrifying does it seem? These are inner states and they can be described as higher and lower states and the higher states generally help us. Um, they fuel more, more complex worldviews and more and higher value means more, more metamodern perspectives, so to speak. And then there is a fourth dimension called depth, uh, which shouldn't be confused with state. State is just how you feel in every one moment and depth is your lived embodied relationship to life and existence itself. Some people have higher depth, greater depth, and some people have lower, lower depth. And, um, and um, some people have uh, um, it, it never experienced very, very high uh, moments of, of, um, of high bliss uh, or, or moments of sheer terror, but still managed to to uh, to develop depth because you've had a long interesting life and you've really embodied a lot of experiences etc so so there are a couple of dimensions of depth also if you like a horizontal and a vertical dimension but these four together they kind of crisscross and they create a pattern and some people are more complex thinkers others have greater depth Others have greater depth coming from the highest reaches of spiritual experience. Other people have depth because they've walked, they've gone to the outer reaches of madness and terror and come back to tell, they live to tell the tale. Some people have high um, states. Uh, a lot of the time, like artists get into great and um, unstoppable flows. Some people have studied a lot and know a lot of code and can coordinate a lot of ideas and perspectives. And well, so, so if you put these together, you notice that a person who is genuine at a metamodern stage uh, would have some elements of all of these four. And it's a strange thing because they don't seem to co-vary very much. Um, high, having greater complexity might mean that you are attracted to more complex code systems, but it doesn't necessarily mean, or actually doesn't, that you also have greater depth or higher state. So these are, uh, as far as I can tell, these seem to be decoupled from one another. And the metamodern perspective then tries to marry depth to complexity. 
tries to marry high states to um, complex thinking. It has this kind of, um, just speaking to another author, this marriage of sense and soul, so to speak, um, uh, a profound spiritual relationship to life and the universe, but still a kind of crystal clarity, uh, gr- grap- grappling with genuinely complex questions, th- nonlinear thinking, systematic thinking, post-systematic thinking, paradigmatic thinking, thinking in paradigms, creating new meta-systems, um, taking knowledge from one area of life, applying it to another, moving back and forth freely between many different areas, uh, between many different paradigms or, 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 uh, or different inquiries or disciplines, but still being driven by either be- a sense of beauty or tragedy, a, a deep sense of embodiment. Well, that's, that's what the metamodern that's what the metamodern um, mind strives to do, but always fails, of course, uh, because the moment we, we, we go too far into abstract thinking, we, kind of, we tend to lose a part of our humanity and our, our inner selves and our contact. As soon as we go too far into uh, psychedelic or existential or spiritual experience, we tend to lose a bit of our rigor and thinking critical and critical um, faculties. So you see there's this this impossibility in this marriage, and yet there we are. That's what dialectics is. That's what a developmental perspective is. You're always in an impossible position. You're always going somewhere else. You're always trying to marry something that can't be married. You're always between different poles. You are always in a superposition yeah, just let, let me let me because it's the second time you use that metaphor, and I, I really like it because um, for for those who don't know, superimposition means that despite what you learn in school, the electron is not always in a specific place circling the atom. It's only it's in a in a state of potential, as you said, or chaos. You can say it, and just as you observe, the electron appears on a fixed position. So as a metaphor for that state of mind, which you are describing, the metamodern state of mind, what I, I am understanding is like, okay, you have, you have some form from potential or some form of creative chaos to use that metaphor, but you have the freedom to, to um, find a fixed position. You have to have the freedom to, to delve into uh, modernist, worldviews or to postmodern worldviews without being confined to that um, and to switch out again out of those things depending on the situation you know you can yes. you can even go to pre-modern or archaic states of mind yes. you you mentioned um, psychedelics and and all, all, all those things you can go into that but you but but what constitutes the meta-modern mind is that you have always um, so, so to speak, chaos and order at the yeah. same time. You, you hold it in both hands and you, you walk the fine line um, without getting lost um, in chaos or in, in order of a, of a specific worldview. Is that what you're saying? 
Yes, yes. Uh, uh, that's a lot of what I'm saying. Uh, keeping in mind, though, that we are specifically now talking about uh, the psychology of a minority of people who uh, embody the metamodern um, value meme at an early stage. No, no, it was exactly uh, so. So th that being said, I should we should also point out that there we are now talking about the psychology of the metamodern value meme people who uh, embody this thing these things. But then there is also metamodernism as a meta meme, which is a general structure, uh, a general logic of how society develops in this post-capitalist, post-industrialized, globalized, nanotechnological, uh, digitalized world. And, and these are two different things, and they, they kind of resonate together, uh, and, and they match one another, and there are uh, intrinsic uh, links in terms of uh, between them, but, but oh, one is how? psychology can you, can you and the other is sociology okay let's 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 go into the relationship between those two and how that that culturally would play out oh yes so oh, that's that's a pretty big question of course and uh, and the the one we're tackling um uh well uh, me and and other colleagues are, uh, see, try to tackle over over a longer period of time and i i write a series of six books and uh, hopefully when i'm done i I'll, I'll have um, I'll have an answer for you, but just just to say the general general thing is that there's a terrible truth to this, a terrible truth, and it is that reality self organizes in increasingly complex ways, and up until this point in history most of us human beings have been able to um, internalize a code system, a, a way of thinking, a way of being human beings that more or less correspond to, to society's, self, uh, society's stage of self-organization. But society's self-organization is a natural process. It just occurs, and it the, the and the complexity just increases without anybody asking about uh, asking for it. Which means that we as human beings are running out of cognitive fuel. Um, we we go through these different cognitive stages and existential stages, etc. Um, we we go from ab abstract thinking, which is the early adult uh, stage of uh, thinking in adult, adulthood, which uh, was described by Piaget. We go from there to formal thinking, where we can take two abstract variables or more and create linear systems or linear, um, linear relationships between them. We go from there to systematic thinking. And modern, modern society is largely corresponds to the formal logic stage, which means that a majority of adult people actually had the kind of thinking and logic that would, so that we would fit within the bureaucratic systems, within the rule bound, um, within the rule bound businesses and, and uh, uh, 
games of life, etc., of, of modern life. Um, postmodern logic and postmodern society largely corresponds to systematic to the systematic cognitive stage reached only by a couple of per- or, uh, reached only by a uh, 20 plus percent of the adult population uh, only about 20 percent of us ever start begin to create our own systems of thoughts of made of many uh, ma- many formal relations and and uh, inter- men- interlinking many formal relations and creating um, yeah function systems of functions so to speak and the metamodern society that, uh, where you have to be able to think in terms of topology, you have to be able to compare abstract properties of systems and see which ones um, apply where and, and where they don't. For instance, in, in questions such as climate change and intersectionality, uh, this is only a kind of logic that shows up according to the tests uh, made for many, many years by uh, Michael Commons and, and Harvard and, and others. Th- this kind of logic only shows up in a couple of percent of people and of adult people. So you only have a couple of percent of adult people who think in meta-systematic logic. And meta-systematic logic is the kind of logic that you need to safely wander around the metamodern space, uh, to safely wander around this extremely cross-disciplinary, extremely abstract worldview. And we do live in an increasingly metamodern society. So we really are, as another developmental psychologist has said, uh, Robert Keegan, we really are out of our depths. We really are in over our heads. And it's an increasing, uh, and this is an accelerating pattern. And to be frank, I really don't know how this can possibly be resolved. Uh, Maybe in some uh, transhumanist future where we redesign human beings altogether, or maybe maybe there will be artificial intelligence to help us out. I'm not sure. But Either way, I mean, we have to try to, in at least as many ways as possible, increase the, uh, the stage of development in ourselves and, and uh, in our relationships and in our institutions and in the, in the demographics and the general populations in order for us not to have severe crash landings as we will relate too simply and too linearly and too... In in a too non-nuanced and non-sensitive and too black and white manner, uh, to these meta-systematic and even even more highly complex uh, issues that we're facing on a global level, on a global scale, and uh, and the interconnectedness, of course, between all of the things we've said, um, like migration, climate, and so forth. So so um, it's. It's not just metamodernism. There are um, a lot of movements now after postmodernism. You know, there's yes. um, there's not only metamodernism in in its iterations, but but there is a performatism. Um, yes, from Raoul Eshelman. There is pseudo-modernism, digimodernism. There's even the the integral theory from Ken Wilber. So how mm. how would you locate metamodernism in that field of new? Th- philosophies arising where are the differences where are the similarities 
Um, yes. Uh, I, I, um, I don't know about all of them. Um, so uh, so I, I might be uh, not be treating some of them fairly uh, enough. But uh, just the emphasis here, the, the emphasis on metamodernism, that which, for instance, how it's different from integralism, it is, it is a much more secular view, worldview. It does not include the same elements of... Uh, of uh, this, the same elements of enchantment of magic, so to speak, uh, and it is it is um, more politicized, a more political worldview. So, so I mean, it is firmly based in politics. It is firmly based in um, in um, uh, secularism, and it is network based and agency based. So there, there's no there's no organization or community or anything else like that uh, that you can join. I mean, there's a mailing list I have with other philosophers, but, uh, but other than that, there's, there's really nothing there. There's just the agency itself. It's an open system networked thing. Um, yeah, but, but coming back to the Pareto principle, yeah. I mean, just imagine you're getting some traction and the book will sell. And, and of course there will be some, form of organization or, or some movement you can join just like integral theory you know it's like, like with their with their salons and with the conferences and i mean this thing has to grow and by growing of course there will be some um you know some accumulation of power in a way as you will yeah. as you can say uh, I suppose. I suppose. For for now, let's keep it within the arts, and let's keep it within the liberal arts. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So, so um, uh, if there was if there was to be power within metamodernism, I I would hope it would be in the form of teaching, uh, that uh, people would gather and they would write critical papers and they would do art projects and they would develop the perspectives and then they would take them home to different. Um, to different um, uh, areas of life, um, not as a master pattern, however. That's um, because there's an important distinction here. I mean, if you look at uh, at integralism, for instance, uh, there's uh, a sense of well, there's there's a certain sense that um, there's a master pattern and it's relatively static. Um, there's something platonic about it, about these pure forms. Uh, talking to my um, colleague, Alexander Bard, who writes about syntheism and, and uh, creating God in the internet age, he um, calls himself a mobilist, which he, uh, which he distinguishes from an externalist. So uh, he thinks uh, Plato, if you believe in pure forms in a real reality out there that you can know beyond your senses uh, that, that the natural laws of, 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 uh, of the universe are given once and for all, for instance, that, that's externalism. And um, mobilism then is, um, well, it harkens back more to uh, American pragmatism, uh, where uh, you have uh, figures such as uh, figures such as Charles Sanders Peirce, a favorite of my own, uh, who believes that the first principle of the universe is firstness, and then there is secondness and thirdness, and but firstness just being a kind of being, just being 
pure potential, just being pure freedom. Um, and metamodernism then is not an edifice. It's not something huge we build. It's not a statue of Stalin pointing us in one direction and then, you know, uh, creating a 1,000 year old, uh, well, a, a Reich that would. Uh, last a thousand years or whatever it is simply that it is simply movement it is simply dancing it is simply playing and it just opens new doors and it is both i mean it, it can sometimes be above you in terms of developmental uh, psychology but it but it's always going to fit somewhere within something larger that you bring uh, that's a, that's a, another fractal perspective, which is very, very, very important. It's central to me, the fractal perspective, that if I can fit you within my world, you can fit me within your world. If I swallow you whole, if I describe you better than, um, uh, than you can describe yourself, you will also be able to fit me within your world. And we co-contain one another. Uh, it's, a, it's a hall of mirrors, an infinitude of possibilities that opens up in all directions. Um, and um, I mean, we are approaching that point in history when, when such things open, with such vast and scary and, 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 and profoundly, well, yeah, pro profoundly frightening um, possibilities open up. I mean, with, with, we're going to be able to change the brain, the mind, the biology of human beings, uh, our genetic makeup, uh, the nanotechnological makeup of, of our environments, uh, and of course, artificial intelligence. And of course, the, the, the complexity side of it, climbing the, climbing the uh, orders of complexity into more and more complex patterns of thought, they will sooner or later ally with, with artificial intelligence. As we speak, my own mentor, Michael Commons, who invented the model of hierarchical complexity, which in, describes the stages of complexity of the mind, he has a, um, a, patent, a patent for using this model within artificial intelligence, within, well, mm -hmm. which is called... Um, stack neural networks and uh, they are, and he's talking to IBM about it um, not saying this particular thing will materialize I'm not sure it will he's very old and uh, but but um, well we're at just just the sheer the sheer momentum and movement of the whole thing and the many directions it points towards uh, points in so many directions at once, it just makes it impossible to build an edifice. And, um, and the power must be within the network, within the relationships. Uh, and if the moment it isn't, these things can turn to cults in minutes, I tell you, in seconds. Um, so... Would you elaborate on that? Oh, yes, yes. I mean, so basically, I mean... Look at North Korea. It's a it's a cult on a national level, isn't it? Sure. Uh, and but it's not really like Kim Jong Un was. Um, it's so much more tyrannical than kings were two or three hundred years ago. 
It's just that there's an imbalance, a developmental imbalance between how much power and how many technologies of control uh, there are around in a modern society and, uh, and how, much, um, how many systems of uh, diffusion of power, of, um, of balance of power, how many transparency systems, checks and balances there are and so forth, which, I mean, pertain to democracies. And if you look at what metamodernism does, it says, and, and the, listening, the vision of the listening society, it says, okay, we can go farther than this. We can, we can not only uh, affect people's, uh, people's lives as consumers and citizens, we can affect people's inner lives, people's love lives, people's relationships, people's uh, sense of self, people's uh, sense of reality, uh, sense of mission in the world, sense of accomplishments, people's fundamental trust of the universe. All of these things are affectable, are doable, uh, to, are, are subject to change. To, and we, we, it's just irresponsible not to design a society that will change these things in a favorable direction. Now, so we're going into higher complexity and we're going and we're delving deeper into the mind of all human beings, into the minds of all human beings. We're delving deeper into the human soul. Uh, so the, the complex emergence uh, through, which we, um, through which we coordinate our actions and, and uh, perspectives and lives is deepened. But how, how, do you, how do you make sure that there's no, no cult developing? Like exactly, exactly. So uh, I'm just saying then that if this does not happen in unison with critical thinking, with uh, increased transparency, with increased checks and balances, with increased sense of freedom in, uh, and increased respect of not only the individual, but even the trans individual or the individual, not, not just respect myself as an individual, but you need to respect even each part of me as, uh, as individual. I mean, these things will create um, new forms of subtle oppression because, uh, because the, the amount of control will be, uh, the control will be too subtle and too deep uh, to be uh, properly balanced out and properly... Uh, I mean, you have the same problem with political correctness. It's a good idea. It's mm. become a, a, a weapon of totalitarianism. Yes. You know, it's yes. like... Yes. So it's, it's the same problem, but what you're describing is, a, yeah. is even so, deeper. Yes, yes. So, so if you look at the... Uh, if we look at the second book uh, that isn't out yet, it's called Nordic Ideology. So, so there I describe six forms of new politics that must emerge uh, for us to to tackle these, um, these forms of, um, these new forms of self-organization. Uh, and it's either, if we do not tackle this forms of self, these new forms of self-organization, we will fail to self-organize at the new and subtler and deeper level, and then we will simply fall apart as modern, as we we're out of our depth, as we will be insufficient in terms of who we are as citizens, as states, as human beings, etc., to, to, to really deal with the kind of reality we, ha we ourselves have created. But... Um, okay, that's interesting. I'm sorry when I interrupt you, but can you, can you elaborate on that? That, that yes, sounds yes. very interesting. Yes, yeah, so, so the six forms of politics, uh, three of them have to do with a deepening 
our relationship to uh, reality and, uh, and our self-organization. And three of them have to do with countering and balancing uh, these, uh, these other tendencies. Uh, so, so one is um, uh, Gemeinschaft politics. So Gemeinschaft is a word I use instead of community because community sounds kind of like, uh, like it's your local community or whatever. Mm. The Gemeinschaft, uh, uh, as you know from, from German and from sociology, is, um, well, it, it, uh, that, that's the emotional and uh, life world part of how human beings interact, not, not through companies or through markets or, or traffic lights or whatever, more like families, communities, friendships, etc. All of these things are Gemeinschaft. So, so we need Gemeinschaft politics. Um, politics that have to do with integration and relationships that actively and deliberately and with the help of science and behavioral science try to improve upon human the relationships between human beings uh, increase the amount of social capital uh, decrease loneliness and so forth and uh, make the make the um, games of sexual uh, encounters and, and the marriage and, and, and all of that uh, developed and better how um, why uh, i mean how not why uh, i can uh, see why but how yes. how would you how would you go go ahead like with well, that? Well, the, the, you you're going to need a, a whole lot of um, uh, of innovations but just just saying at this particular at this early point just instituting this form of politics and having uh, a large host of experts and uh, panels and citizen feedback and statistics etc on this area of life would be very 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 fruitful and might solve or help to tackle a lot of deeply rooted issues in, in um in everyday i mean life. i mean let me let me just spitballing here because i've, yeah. I've read it that um in the not so distant future when you go in a disco you can have like a, a blood probe or something and everybody does that um and and the computer will say well this girl this has a 98 genetic match with you go ahead mm -hmm. it's like so is that is that yeah. something that would be part of that like a like technological advances in dating and and well i, I i'm thinking uh, i i'm not the one to say i mean it, it depends on what people would decide upon naturally but just just uh Right now, we're just naming the topics, much like uh, environmental politics. So how do you do environmental politics? Obviously, you work through regulations, but there are so many other things that you do. Um, and if you go a while back, a um, hundred years ago, I mean, I know uh, the U.S. had a, a forestry ministry early on, um, but most countries really didn't have environmental politics. It's a relatively new phenomenon showed up. Um, just like that, you can have new emergent patterns of, of the political. And we, uh, I, I suggest that there should be six such new patterns. So we, should, we can just mention them first, and then, I'll, uh, then we can zoom in on any one you like. Okay, you're, you're still talking about the six new rules of politics, right? Yeah, well, yes, yeah, six, six new forms. Forms, of okay. Mm -hmm. yes. all, all right. So, so there is Gemeinschaft politics. There is democratization politics. Politics of democratization, of deepening democracy, of deepening uh, uh, governance. Uh, there is um, 
there is emancipation politics, um, there is existential politics or politics of existence, uh, there, is, there are empirical politics or politics of science, and then there are politics of theory, politics of narrative. Uh, so, so these are six new forms of politics. And the, uh, just to get, give you the general idea that some of these things help us coordinate our actions on a deeper level by shaping who we are as human beings. And some of, the, and some of them criticize and counter the forces of the other ones. Much like, you know, in uh, Montesquieu, you have a, you have, a division of powers, right? You have uh, uh, the, the, the executive power, you have the uh, lawgiver, and you have, and you have uh, well, the courts. And these balance each other out. And we have a similar Montesquieu and power balance with six dimensions here, each one being balanced by the five, five others. Uh, and just... Just beginning with the simplest one, uh, which is uh, Gemeinschaft politics. Uh, well, so, uh, okay, let's say there's an issue with, um, um, what, let's say there's an issue with sexual violence in society. Uh, today, what do we do about it? This, well, I, mean, I guess you could have a little information uh, campaign in schools where you could tell boys about something. I mean, there's no real way to tackle it. What about, um, what about there are growing ethnic tensions? Or what about there are uh, a lot of men who live out in the suburbs and um, in the rural areas, and the young women go to the bigger cities and get degrees? And there, uh, there are growing tensions bet- within these groups, and there are growing political tensions. There, there's no, there, there are no tools for society to self-organize around these sensitive but central topics. So they just grow into big cancers, and nothing can stop them. And then they can begin to control everyday politics in irrational and bitter and short-sighted manners, um, and and a lot of fear grows out of it. So, so there, and even in societies like uh, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, you you're not going to find a very developed Gemeinschaft politics. Um, they don't have the relevant statistics. They don't have the relevant uh, bureaucracies. They don't have the relevant resources. Well, because it hasn't been built. Because up until this point, it, uh, the sociological and social, psychological and psychological and developmental parts of life haven't been thought of as political issues. So, but how would that how would that look like in that case? Well, let, let let's start with uh, just uh, creating a ministry uh, for uh, for Gemeinschaft. Uh, it sounds like 1984. But in 1984, there weren't counterpart. I mean, George Orwell's 1984. They had a Ministry of Love, which is actually a Ministry of Torture, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and the Ministry of Love then didn't have a counterbalance. It didn't have, um, um, well, it, it wasn't transparent. It wasn't it it wasn't accountable and so forth. Uh, uh, but still, though, I mean, uh, so let's look at who overlooks 
meditation in school, who uh, looks at how how to uh, create more uh, meeting places within uh, the public spaces, who um, should look at how much commercial uh, commercialized naked images should litter our brains and what effects this has and and where should such debates be held right now the the answer is you can do it at a sociology department or an anthropology department but that's about oh, I get it. your I get you your picture right mm-hmm. press uh, but uh, but there's no institutional framework to mm. to, uh, to grapple any of these issues Interesting. And so, okay, so let, let's move on. Let's, let the second uh, politics was democratization. Yes, yes. So, it, it might be a, a bit of a tall order to go through all of them. Just, no, no, just, just for example, because, uh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to d- direct voting and, and not uh, representational or? Uh, not exactly. Uh, so, uh, so democratization politics, the, the, the starting point of this kind of uh, of this idea is simply that if you go back 200 years we had cruder systems of governance we the systems of governance were less effective and they handled considerably less information and you had more irrational pockets of concentration of power and you had less accountability so if you If you look at those different criteria, you can see, okay, there's no reason to think that, for instance, Sweden or, uh, God forbid, the U.S. would be at the pinnacle of self-organizational governance. There's no reason to say this is an optimal democracy and, uh, and democracy has been achieved here and no further development is possible. Of course, that's not true. Of course, there's going to be higher stages yet of self-governance that are going to be more intelligent and flexible and robust than the ones that we have today. Um, So what would the democratization politics look like? It would be the active, long-term, deliberate, scientifically supported development of the intelligence of governance, of the collective intelligence of all systems within society. So, for instance, uh, if you take a country, let's say Sweden or, or Switzerland, perhaps, and you divide it up in its uh, many, many constituent parts, and uh, the, these many constituent parts, uh, they each get s- some tax money to move around with in order to make projects that have to do with uh, improving self-governance, increasing uh, vote, uh, citizen engagement or participation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And then you evaluate, uh, you get 200 projects or so, Uh, you evaluate the best ones and you spread them and then you evaluate the best ones of those and then you spread them and you uh, apply them to new uh, territories or new new parts of the of the governance structure and you evaluate those structures and you look at it from a multiplicity of perspectives so the point is why aren't we already having an active and deliberate form of democratization it's the most it's our highest value in in western societies anyway democracy it's uh, it's almost i mean certainly 
uh, sells at a higher rate than any religion I can think of. And yet, we seem to think we're done with it. We seem to think that, well, we invented uh, democracy and got, got, got universal suffrage for women 100 years ago, and that's it. Doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? That's true. Um, I mean, we, we talked about this prior to our conversation. We have the ge general German elections coming up, and oh, it's yeah. so and it's uh, next week, and so it's so weird mm. because um, on the surface sur surface of things, it looks uh, all uh, swell and and good with Angela Merkel, but it's deeply, deeply, mm. deeply conservative, you know. So mm. so, and she's not even grappling with with the important issues. So mm. and and I, I mean, just like where we are now. And where we could go, the the gap yeah. is is so immense. How how, I mean, how 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 would we even go about it to to tackle yes, this? I I share your frustration. I I, I want to first express uh, my respects for for uh, for uh, uh, for Merkel and 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 her. Uh, well, she has shown great leadership and competence, of course, uh, and also her opponent. Um, but it's just a systemic thing. I mean, uh, we're not at a point where a leader can be anybody else than, you know, with a developmental perspective, for instance, Russia is at a point where the leader has to be somebody like Putin, more or less. And in, uh, in countries like Germany, we're at a point where the leader has to be somebody like Angela Merkel. That being said, what I want to do is not to create a mass movement, not because I, well, first of all, because it's a dangerous thing to do, because uh, as I said, metamodernism is extremely, I mean, th th these are heavy drugs. It's psychoactive as hell. It, it uh, integrates all different parts of you and the investments that you make is, uh, w once you start touching these things are, are huge. Uh, the relationships that you form around them uh, involve every aspect of yourself. I mean, th this is the stuff sects are made of. So I, I'd be very careful to use uh, this as a mass movement, even if I do support uh, a party in, in uh, Denmark and one in Sweden, where they are inspired by some of these ideas. Um, let, so, me, let me ask one question because I, obviously I, I just have it in mind because how, yeah. how, how would you go about it? Would you, would yes. you go about it like um, top, um, um, bottom up, you know, just like let the, let the development go that way and, and not, not with much enforcement, but just by little regulations or would you go about um, like um, top to bottom You know, just enforce it in a way because both obviously uh, uh, problematic and good ways in a way. So like, okay, how how would you would you produce that shift, or would yeah. you even produce it? Yeah, I, I I love your question, Tom, and and I, I think you already answered it. Uh, I mean, obviously, the answer is going to be both and. I mean, any top to bottom pro process then we're back at lenin and then uh, and then that's go we know where that one's going and any bottom to top we're back at the consensus part and with low low thresholds and and uh, mediocrity etc holding us back uh, so so the only the only real way to do it is a big zigzag or a big spiral where where we go 
we start at the bottom. <laughs> we uh, we write fringe books uh, that that are too controversial to to publish within the academic sciences or institutions. We reach the smartest kids out there. We love, help them hit uh, find one another. Uh, we let them uh, gain positions within life, uh, strategic positions, and we form form um, networks uh, uh, across uh, uh, well across all countries and across all academic disciplines and cults, all walks of life. Uh, for instance, uh, there, there are very impressive meetings going on around the Alter Ego Festival in, in the UK, for instance. Well, and, uh, and from there on, people in key positions will be able to, sooner or later, when opportunities present themselves, um, do information combat campaigns or, or do uh, things that shift general opinion. For instance, uh, in... Uh, uh, important issues here might be animal welfare. Other might be, uh, you know, uh, things that have to do with self-development, lifting the taboo. People with key in, uh, key positions within the academic institutions can lift the anti-hierarchical uh, or anti-developmental taboos that that uh, hold down academia and academic perspectives, etc. And from there on, you can sooner or later make localized but centralized. Um, centralized uh, actions that nevertheless have a lot of allies all over the place, uh, a network of allies who work behind the scenes and make it happen. Yes, yes, I, I, I know what you're getting at. And, and it's like yeah. what you said, it's um, zigzag is oscillation, just to, yeah. just to put that big picture out. It's mean, there, this, this is the point where uh, developmental theory of the mind and, and this cultural... Uh, mean what you're talking about and, and political comes together because it's the oscillation between yeah. bottom up and top down and between left and right and to right. see what what is good, what can be facilitated, what um, we should not do. Right. So and, and we should be free because like uh, as it is clear when, when you are in a strictly modern or pre-modern or post-modern mindset, you can't leave that and you are confined right. to an ideology and you can't use that zigzag course you said to act out. Yeah, yeah because you're too allergic to, uh, to top down. So you're not going to be able to use a um, distributed network tactic. Um, exactly. So, no, no. I just, I just wanted to to summarize that because yes. I, I, I think for our conversation that is a really crucial point. You have you have those developmental stages, and you have these six forms of political. Um, what would you say, like action, like yes, like? Yeah. Uh, hmm. I mean, that's a bit of a later stage, though. I mean, we put it. I, I put it later on in the book. Um, so I, the whole first listening society. I don't even touch upon that pro uh, uh, those six dimensions of um, uh, of the new politics because first, we I have to make sure that the reader understands the developmental models and understands just how difficult this stuff is. Uh, nevertheless, it's fun. I mean, uh, I feel I feel call to action. Uh, sometimes it's overwhelming, but there is something to do. A lot of times, uh, you know, you read something or you find something inspiring and there's nothing really to do. Here, there is something to do. You can develop these theories, you can spread them, you can make 
alliances around them. You can uh, have talks around them. And I, I at least feel uh, empowered, even if I'm uh, a pessimist uh, in terms of where the world is going, uh, I, I at least feel that, uh, well, there, there's a sense of consolation and a sense of, uh, well, at least there's a plan. There's, at least there's a true north. At least I can follow my heart and I can do something. And uh, even talking to you just feels, uh, just feels like a part of that. Sure. That, that is the idea with this podcast. So, but Hansi, um, would you a little bit, just because we are going 90 minutes now, and, and, but just, just um, t tell a little bit about yourself, about the way you, you came about to to formulate these things and yeah, so, so i generally keep it uh, uh keep it light on the biographical detail i was asked on facebook as the latest uh today about it um so uh, i have a background in philosophy and uh, sociology a little bit in history i have uh, been teaching sociology a little bit um And uh, I have felt suffocated within normal, academ normal academic life, not because the people are bad there. I very much like and respect a lot of the professors and uh, colleagues and, and, uh, and uh, researchers. But simply because, you know, it has taken a large uh, step from um, being the place of the intellectual, the arena of the intellectual. Um, the intellectuals being a kind of priesthood for modernity, a kind of postmodern conscience for modernity, to becoming, um, to becoming the archetype, becoming the researcher, the professionalized researcher. And being a professionalized researcher is, of course, uh, an important job, but it's not, it didn't quite speak to me. I, I, I longed for the intellectuals of the 1800s, of the early 1900s, and I felt when they wrote, they, they, they were there with their whole person, with their whole being. They really meant what they said. They, it wasn't just a job. It was a lifestyle. It was their life. And so, so I mean, there was this sense of alienation. And in a deeper sense, um, there is a sense of alienation with society at large. I mean... I didn't grow up super happy and I think it could have been done better. And I feel that something was lacking and that's something that society uh, in a way failed me. That's what I felt when I was younger anyway, but later on having taken a more Nietzschean perspective, I felt, okay, I am actually the creator of this stuff. Um, I have responsibility for this stuff. Uh, so if I don't want to simply recreate the society that I wasn't happy to grow up in, I should um, try to create what comes after. Um, not just deconstruct, not just criticize, but really take it into my hands and reshape it and recreate it. Um, and, and then to do that, I, of course, needed to find co-creators because that's nothing you can do on your own. One of the co-creators, I was lucky, uh, owned this big house in the Alps. It was ridiculous. He, uh, uh, act there were five bathrooms. Uh, there were 18, uh, 18 beds or so and, and a jacuzzi and was in the middle of a skiing resort. Uh, and, and the windows are very tall in the main room. 
and there was a huge mountain on the other side and there were cows grazing in the, in the summer and there was snow in the winter. And that's where I wrote Listening Society. Just talking to the mountain, talking to the mountain, just saying, okay, this is the realest thing that I can say. And it felt great. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm grateful to be where I'm at. Uh, I realize that uh, high ends in life, they always sink back into the sea and, uh, and um, there's always new chaos coming up around the corner and um, new misery, new unhappiness, new confusion, new depths of, of darkness, etc. But right now I'm on an island and my feet are dry and I can speak to you guys and I'm so grateful for it and I'm um, so grateful that you are here and co-creating me as this person. What is it about mountains anyhow? I mean, uh, a big chunk of the 20th century were created, of, of philosophy was created in the mountains, yeah. the physicists yes. Um, yes. wandering around, Nietzsche, Heidegger, yeah. all those people. What it, I mean, we. So, uh, so I, I, th I, th I did, I did think a lot about this actually. Um, so, I mean, if you look at the sky, it is awesome, but usually our eyes have a way of flattening it. Um, mountains are, of course, much smaller than the things we look at on the look at on the up in the skies, but. It's something about how they are continuous with the ground that we stand on, uh, which forces the eye to see the vastness of space, to see how large it really is. Most of the time, we kind of fail to see the largeness or the greatness or the vastness of things around us. But mountains have a way of forcing us to do that. Uh, which means they kind of pry open our minds because when, when we're in a space where we realize that something is huge, something is large, we are in a state of awe. And in the state of awe, we, they, they actually show this in, uh, in um, there's very little research on, on the emotion of awe, but uh, uh, Jonathan Hyde has, has done a little and uh, some of his colleagues and, uh, The, the emotional awe seems to be correlated to um, when we tear down an old idea or perspective and we open up to a new truth. So it's a way of eliciting that state in ourselves when we open up to something new hmm. in ourselves. Um, yeah. Interesting. Or that's a working hypothesis. <laughs> you might need to uh, double check that. Uh, uh, so that's in your lab on Tuesday, if that's good enough. It's good, man. Hmm. Hansi, thank you very much again that you took the time. The book... Um, yeah, The Listening Society. The Listening Society. Um, you have a website? We, um, uh, it's metamoderna with an A at the end. Metamoderna.org. Okay, so and there's the information everybody needs. Hmm. Hansi, thank you again for doing this. I yeah, wish you thank, best of luck. And I wish you the best of luck. Uh, uh, yeah, let's talk again sometime.